Hey, kids, I hope you, uh, you enjoyed that clip with, uh, with Zip. Um, he'll be coming to you each week with a lesson for you, so uh, just, just come expecting on Sunday mornings uh, to hear what God would speak to you kids through, uh, through Zip and whoever else is with Zip um, that particular week. So, well, good morning. We're going to get started in the, in the message today. And, you know, I just want to say I look forward uh, to the day that we can... I can look you in the eyes, I can shake your hand, that I can hug your neck, but, you know, until the uh, level of risk is acceptable and our governing leaders decide uh, to allow normal life to resume, uh, we're going to use and be grateful for the technology that's available to us. Um, You know, God is still God, and He is everywhere all the time, and so the good thing is that we can maintain, we can improve our relationship with God um, even while we're apart. So, but I do look forward to the day that we can, we can gather together. Hey, we began last week to look at the foundation of our spiritual house. And uh, Hebrews 6 chapters 1 through 3 uh, give us a list of some of those things that are important uh, for that foundation. Uh, last week we looked at the, the theme of repentance and of faith in God, and I encourage you, uh, if you didn't hear it or you want to know what that was, to uh, go to our Facebook page. You can watch that sermon. You can listen to it on the website. Um, I think it may even be on YouTube, so um, you, can, you can catch it there. But today we're going to look uh, at some of the, the first thing it reads in verse 2. So let's read Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 2 together. Hebrews chapter 6. Verses 1 through 2 says, Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God. Instructions about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So today we're going to take a peek here at the First section of that, instructions about cleansing rites. Now, you might, uh, in your translation, it might say something else. It might say uh, washings. Uh, it might say baptisms. It might have a combination of those words. And uh, it, that all depends on your translation. And so we want to kind of look at this and ask the question, what is the author talking about here? Because especially when we have uh, several different translations that kind of use the nuances of words a little differently, we have to look into that and say, what exactly was the original speaker trying to communicate? And so we, in order to do that, we need to take a little uh, history lesson first about what is meant by that cleansing rites. And let me back up and say in the original language, which was Greek, that this was written in, uh, it really referred to a full immersion uh, uh, that word was just uh, dipping into water. And so uh, was, was that a baptism? Was that a cleansing rite? Was that a washing? Yes, it could have been all of those things. So that was what the original word was. But we can get an idea of what they meant by looking at the teachings of Jesus. Because if this is a piece that's foundational, Jesus would have talked about it. So it wouldn't have been some obscure, small little thing that just the disciples picked up on and are teaching us. This would have been something Jesus clearly uh, articulated or taught. 
in his various uh, sermons and teachings while he was on the earth. So we're going to look at one of those in Mark chapter 7, especially verses 1 through 4. And so uh, we're going to turn there and get an idea of what we mean by these cleansing rites or washings here. So in Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 4, it reads this. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Now, every mom in Mother's Day says, Amen. They should have washed their hands before they eat, especially in today's uh, current pandemic, right? Like, you need to wash your hands all the time. But we do that for hygiene purposes. This was different, so stay with us. Uh, Verse 3, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So these few verses, what what is it all being pointed to? Like I said, uh, their washing here was not a a consideration of hygiene. It was a ritual. It was a ceremonial washing, an act done. And really what it points to, and the history behind it all, is an obsession with ritual purity. You see, the thought existed that you could become unclean. That means no longer acceptable to God, tainted, dirty, no longer pure, no longer holy, whatever a combination of words that you want to use, you could become that if you came in contact with certain things. Some of those things would be bodily fluids. It could, it could have been uh, spittle from the, uh, the mouth. It could have been uh, urine. It could have been, think of any bodily fluid, blood, uh, any fluid that comes from the body, they could be contaminated by. They also could have been contaminated by being in contact with a woman after she gave birth to a child. They could have been contaminated by touching a corpse, whether that be uh, human or animal. Um, They were contaminated by creepy things, anything that crawled on the ground, snakes and and the like. Uh, Contaminated by idols, sickness. It could be contaminated by coming into contact with certain classes of people. Some of those, uh, for example, that we see in the New Testament would be if they came in contact with lepers, with Samaritans who were Uh, a mixed race, or Gentiles who just were not Jewish in any way, shape, or form. So if they came in contact with these, they could become unclean. And because of all of that, it drove them to have ceremonial washings that would purge them or any object that they possessed from this uncleanliness. And all of this came from a, a place when the... Uh, Israel nation was conquered and began to be occupied by different uh, cultures, by different races of people. Um, They had the Babylonians, and later on they had the Greeks. And then in the current context, they were overtaken uh, uh, by the Romans. And so as they came in contact with all these different cultures, they established these things to kind of keep this separation of the people of God versus them. And so... um, this ritualistic cleaning kind of helped them maintain that differentiate, uh, that difference. So it drove them to this, and it, it was getting pretty intense as far as having to clean 
a cup you used or a dish you used or a basket or if you went to the market and went grocery shopping, there were people who were Gentiles there or sick people. You'd have to come home and before you did anything, you'd have to take a bath. And so there are these ceremonial washings of maintaining a purity. There's a problem that exists here, though. That this isn't scriptural. We, we don't look back in the law of Moses and see this teaching of ceremonial washings with the exception of priests. The priests who were going into the tabernacle to minister before the Lord had to be clean. And so they'd have to wash and bathe and their, and their garments clean. But that was in their ministering to the Lord. And then there was also a rule, you see in uh, Leviticus 15, you see in Exodus 30, you see in Exodus 40, you see in Leviticus 22, this, if you came in contact with bodily, human bodily fluids, you'd have to wash your hands. And that just makes sense from a hygiene purpose. This makes sense from a, a not transmitting diseases purpose, right? We know that lots of things get transmitted through bodily fluids. And so if they came in contact with those, God required them to wash their hands. But all of these other things, uh, these ceremonial washings of watching, washing pitchers and cups and beddings and going out shopping and coming in contact with a foreigner, they were, none of this was scriptural. There was really only two cases. If you were a priest serving before the Lord or if you had come in contact with bodily fluids. So here's the rub in, in this portion of scripture. You see, Jesus and his disciples lived in conflict with these traditions. You say, well, how did Jesus live in conflict with these traditions? Well, he placed his hands on lepers and prayed over them. He touched a leper. He healed a woman with an issue of blood. He talked with a Samaritan woman. He came in contact with a Samaritan woman at the well. She, she was not an acceptable Jew. She was a woman. And here Jesus is conversing and connecting with her. Jesus even raised the dead on several occasions, laying hands on their corpses and praying for them to come back. So we see this, this involvement that Jesus and his disciples have with what was then considered unclean things. And they weren't washing their hands afterwards. And now here, I mean, the Pharisees just can't take it any longer. Here the disciples are sitting down to eat and they haven't done the ceremonial washing that's expected of Jewish folks. And we see the reaction in uh, Mark chapter 7, verse 5. It says, so the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands. I mean, they were pretty upset about this. Like, your disciples are defiled. It's a dis to them, it was a disgrace to God that they could eat with, this, with hands that hadn't been ceremonially washed or, or ritualistic cleansing. I mean, they were repulsed by the disciples' behavior. I mean, really, in their thinking and in, in, uh, in the oral traditions, uh, they would be unclean by even associating with the disciples because of this. I mean, they were set apart a holy people, and if they weren't going to uh, follow the traditions of the elders, then they too were considered unclean. Here's the thing. Jesus addresses this, and it's the foundational issue that we're talking about in cleansing rites, and it's foundational to our spirituality and to our spiritual house, and we need to understand what Jesus is uh, 
is reflecting on and what he's instructing his disciples and what he's kind of rebuking the Pharisees about in this piece. And it's something that we really need to understand. The first thing is Jesus does is he quotes to them scripture that they already knew. You see, the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. They, they, they studied the, the scripture, the laws of Moses, they, uh, the prophets. They, they knew these scriptures inside and out. That was their job. And so he quotes them something they already know, which was Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. And that we see in Mark chapter 7, verses 6 and 7. He replied to them, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. It is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Ouch. You see, Isaiah was drawing the, the, uh, the conclusion and he was uh, a mouthpiece for God and was speaking God's heart. And here Jesus comes and confirms it and he's saying, listen, your worship for me isn't what I'm looking for. You're just going through the motions. You're saying the things you're supposed to with your lips. You're doing the things that, you're, you, that you think are need to be done. And really, those aren't even things I've asked you to do. You're just following man-made human rules. But that's not worship of me. That's not true worship for me. You've, you've, you've ignored those things. In fact, Jesus goes on in verse 8 and he, he categorizes it this way. He says, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. I mean, ouch. He says, you, you have abandoned God. You've exchanged God for man's rules. And he, when he says this, he's talking about the whole emphasis on the, on the ritualistic purity, the external cleansing and washings that they saw were so necessary for them to be pure and holy before God. And God says, you've exchanged God for man-made rules. That's quite a harsh indictment. We're going to look at what he meant by that. What exactly was God talking about? You've exchanged my worship. What is God looking for? There's a full uh, illustration of this in the book of Matthew. Matthew records a very similar teaching that Jesus is giving and a rebuke to the Pharisees. And I think we can glean and we can understand what exactly was the heart of God that he was getting at here. And in Matthew chapter 23 uh, verses 25 through 28, we're going to read, but all of that are, are woes. Jesus is saying, woe to you. And woe, um, woe is, a, is an expression of sorrow, of grief. That Jesus is disturbed by the fact that they think or act or say these things. And he's expressing that that's a sorrowful thing. Like you should be concerned with this because it's, it's not good, it's sad. So in Matthew chapter 23, Verses 25 through 28, he says this. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. 
In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Ouch. I mean, these are some harsh words. Jesus is calling the religious leaders of the day hypocrites. He's, he's saying that they're full of greed and wickedness and of hypocrisy. Those are some harsh things to say. They're also very offensive things to say. But Jesus is pointing to a thing that they were super concerned with making sure the outside appearance was taken care of. But the inside is what really mattered. And that they were neglecting the weightier things, the things that mattered, they weren't taking care of. In fact, those were maybe even festering and growing and becoming terrible. I brought a cup today to kind of illustrate that. I mean, this is uh, one of the coffee cups from my, uh, my cabinet. And, uh, you know, it's clean. You reach in the cabinet, grab a cup out. Like, I'll use that cup. It's nice and clean. But it could be deceptive because inside it's nasty. And let me ask you this. What is more important? I mean, we all would really love the inside of the cup and the outside of the cup clean. But if I had to choose... If I wanted to use this cup, would I prefer it to be clean on the inside or the outside if I had to choose? I'd much rather it be clean on the inside so that when I'm trying to drink from it, I don't have floaties or something worse, right? The outside sometimes gets dirty. If I'm out working in the shop in my, in my shed or something and I, I sit it down and sometimes maybe some dirt will get crusted on the bottom, maybe my hand's a little dirty and I touch it and there's like smudges on here, but... The outside might be dirty, but what matters is the inside is clean. And this is the visual illustration that Jesus gives. And I love the way Jesus does that. He first gives a theological position. He points to Scripture. So that the leaders, the intellectuals of the day say, yep, we've read that. We know what he's talking about. But then he gives a practical example for everyone to understand. And he says, all you care about is the outside. You don't care about the inside. And he says the inside is what matters. You see, our holiness, our purity, our righteousness, it flows from an internal source outwards. He says if you'll focus on the inside of the cup, it will be clean. And then the outside will become clean. You see, there's, a, um, there's just a way that we function and we work as people. When we, we begin to work on the things that we believe and the, and the things that within us are our desires and our emotions and our passions and these kinds of things, and we give them to God and they begin to um, become in right standing with Him, our external behaviors naturally flow and change. But I don't know of anybody who faked it on the outside that it then produced internal change. You see, you don't fake it until you make it. That might be true in the secular world. That might be true when you're trying to learn or be a student. Like, hey, you just keep pressing on and you'll eventually get there. That's not true in our spirituality. You don't fake your spirituality and then someday you, you realize it and you get it. It's not about the outside. It's about the inside. You see, if you focus on the inside, the outside, the actions, the attitudes, the, the, the voice, those things will catch up with what's going on on the inside. 
And that, that needs to be foundational understanding as we pursue God and build our spiritual house. That what goes on on the inside matters more than what's going on on the outside. And that's what Jesus is addressing. You see, nothing we do externally makes us holy. Nothing you do externally makes you holy or right with God. All of our right standing with God occurs on the inside. Jesus told us it was by faith, right, that we're made right with God. Faith is an internal thing, an internal change that happens. And when we ask God into our life, that's why the phrase says, he comes into our life. He's on the inside and he works out. And so it's foundational for us to understand. And he speaks this clearly in the Psalms and in, in, in the prophets. And I want to read a few to you so that you see and grasp and understand this concept of, from the inside out. In Psalm chapter 51, uh, the psalmist is talking about wanting to bring an offering to God and worship him. And, and he observes this in verse 16. He says, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart you, God, will not despise. You see, he's pointing to the fact that, that even though in the law it asked us to do these, uh, uh, these sacrifices and all of these kinds of ceremonies, it was pointing to a greater thing. It was pointing to the fact that we needed a change, that there was a God that we needed to serve, but that's not what God was after. He wasn't after religious acts. He was, he was after the heart. He says, God, you really don't want burnt offerings and sacrifices. You want my heart. You want what's within me. And then Isaiah the prophet in chapter 1, verse 11, God speaks to Isaiah to send out a message in the very beginning and it's a little bit uh, lengthy. I'm going to read to you verses 11 through 17. Um, but it illustrates it in a powerful way. It says this, verse 11, The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. What is he saying to us today? He's saying, hey, all of the things that you come and you bring me as peace offerings, as gifts to me and all these kinds of things, yeah, I, I appreciate them, but it's not what I'm after. I have more than enough of those things. He says, when you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you? This trampling of my courts. Now he's bringing an accusation. He says, stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I can't bear your worthless assemblies. Wow, that's really harsh. That God has gotten to the point where what the people are bringing me, de it's detestable to me. He can't stand the offerings and the assemblies and the ceremonies and the rituals that they're going through because they're meaningless. He goes on in verse 14. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. This is God speaking. 
When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. And then he begins to tell us why. Your hands are full of blood. What do you mean they're full of blood, God? Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Verse 17. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. So God is pointing out that there is more than an external religion. You see, at this point, Israel was going through these motions. They were, they were bringing animals to God and sacrificing. They were having these fantastic ceremonies of this proclaiming how great their God was. And then they were going about their life living however they cared. They were, they were murdering. They were tr- mistreating people. They were selfish. They were caring about all these kinds of things. And God was like, I'm done with that. Because I'm not after your ceremonies. I'm not after your sacrifices. I'm not after any of those external things. I'm after the internal. And he says, your hands are full of blood. You, what does that mean? Your hands are full of doing your neighbor wrong. And when we begin to have a relationship with God and we realize his love for one another and, and for the world that he's created, how can we possibly mistreat the people that God loves? Or the things that God loves. And he says, when you mistreat and you hold in contempt and you do all of these things, your hands are full of blood. I don't even hear your prayers. Some harsh things God's speaking. See, Israel was just going through the motions. Bringing offerings, washing their hands, washing this, demonstrating an external religiousness, an external uh, ritualistic cleansing of showing how awesome we're the people of God and this is how we show it. But inward, they were, inward they looked like this. They could care less about the weightier things of God, the things that God cares about. The inward change was missing. God's after the inward change from us. He's not after your your good acts of service. He's not after your continual attendance or your giving or your Bible reading. Those things are awesome and he loves that you're a part in doing those things. But that's not in and of itself what he's after. He's after your heart. He's after you to be changed from, from, from evil to righteous. He's after you becoming the old person to the new person, the person who's anxious and depressed to the person who's full of joy and hope. This is what God is after in our lives. He's after your heart. He's after your pure worship from within, not your external observances. And so what does that look like in today's context? Because we go, we're not about animal sacrifices. I don't know about burning incense. Uh, I don't do any of those things, Pastor. What does that look like for you and me today? Well, it looks like going to church on Sunday and then spending the rest of the week lusting after whatever your flesh desires. Money, power, sex, fame, whatever it is that you just lust after these things. What does it look like today? It looks like raising your hands in worship while harboring and holding on to hatred and bitterness in your heart to people around you. What does it look like today? It looks like giving money to God 
And then cheating your workers or your neighbors out of what's theirs, of stealing from them or not paying full price or trying to get, up, get, one, on them, get one over on them. What does it look like? It looks like reading your Bible regularly and then lying to get your way. What does it look like? It looks like serving your community, but then ignoring the oppression and injustice that's all around you. You see, when we do these outside, external things to make us feel good about ourselves, and then we ignore the weightier things that matter that are within our hearts, we are, we are not serving God the way we should. It's just external religious stuff. And God says, I, I'm not after your church attendance. I'm not after your money. I'm not after your acts of kindness and you're reading your Bible every day. I'm after the heart change that comes within you. Church, I I have to pause and take a moment here to comment on something that's really bothered me all week long. And I know it's bothered a lot of you, and I know it's bothered our nation, or some in our nation, but just the, the murder of Mr. Arbery. And I need to go on record and say that the, that the church cannot be okay with this. That if within your heart it, it's just, a, oh, it's another terrible thing that happens, I'm moving on with life, and it doesn't somehow stir you inside that something's wrong, that something needs to happen, that something needs to change, I would challenge you that you probably are living a, a religious life and, and are in the category of the Pharisees. And I know that's harsh, but Jesus was harsh. Jesus was the harshest on those who thought they were religious, who thought they were all that with God, and weren't. And and those who beat their breasts and looked at God and said, save me, I'm a sinner, those who understood their depravity, he gave grace to, that he lavished on, that he, he was patient with. He says all of those things. And so, I have to say that it says right here, Isaiah 1, verse 11 through 17, learn to do right. Seek justice, defend the oppressed. And if those words aren't something that's ingrained in your heart that you have a desire to do, perhaps you need to go back to last week's lesson and repent. Now I know you might say, well, I don't even know what I can do. And, and, and your doing might just be a voice. Remember, we're not talking about external activity. We're talking about the inside. Are you challenged with this? Is, is this... Are you seeking whatever you can do to do something about it? And as a church, it's never okay to oppress anybody, regardless of their skin color, of their gender, of their culture, whatever they are. It's just not okay. It's not okay to hate people. It's not okay for us to just look, look the other way or make excuses or pretend it doesn't exist. This is, this is not the church that Jesus Christ died for. The church that Jesus Christ died for is a church of people who love him with their whole heart, soul, mind, and body, and then love their neighbor as their self. Today is Mother's Day, and there's one mother in Georgia who's grieving because she no longer has a son. Does that stir you? If it doesn't, then you're not loving your neighbor as yourself. Lord, help us. God is after a change of heart. And if these words today bring you conviction, 
I don't apologize for the words of God. If they bring you conviction, I challenge you and I say thank you. That's the grace of God in your life saying, hey, something needs to change here. Something needs to change on the inside. I don't want to be this on the inside. I want to be clean on the inside and on the outside. A transition from caring about our image and what other people see about us and think about us instead of caring about weightier matters and how God sees us and how God cares about us. And that's the foundational piece of our spirituality, that we need to transition and shift from caring what everybody sees on the outside and caring more about what God sees on the inside. And as a Christian, that's in our foundation of our spirituality, that we care more about what's on the inside than on the outside. The weightier matters, the matters of righteousness, of, of, of justice, of love, of these kinds of things, that these are the things we deal with regularly. And when we see them come up in our life, we go back to last week's lesson and we repent, which means we feel a sorrow for them, but we turn from them. We're active in turning from them. God is after a change of heart, not just a behavioral adaptation. It's not our external observances that make us right with God. It's the heart that's changed by him that we, we open our heart to and we say, God, I recognize that there are pieces in me that aren't right. My, my attitudes, my desires, my biases, my all of these things, and I give them to you. Would you make them right? Would you lead me so that I am clean in your sight and that I'm, that I'm living the life that you would have me to live? That's the heart that God recognizes that is clean before him. And so when we go back to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 2. We talk about a foundation. And we talk about, he's talking about teachings about cleansing rites and baptisms. He's reminding the Jewish folks, because the, the book of Hebrews was written to the Hebrews. He's saying all these things you grew up with that you thought made you clean before God, that made you in right standing. That's not what does it. And church, if you grew up like me, I grew up in the church from the time I was four years old, I think. And I was taught that going to church, reading my Bible, paying tithes and offerings, helping, helping my neighbors, serving God, these were the things that made God happy. Can I tell you? Yes, God is pleased with those things, but that is not what makes me right with God. God's not after my money, my time. He's after my heart. And so I need a shift in my life. That's not my external behavior that makes me right with God. I can't, I can't do a sin and then make up for it by doing 10 good things. There's a, there's a thought process out there that you think you'll get to heaven because you've done more good than bad. That's not the way it works. It's an internal change in attitude of the heart, that we look to God in faith, not our external behaviors. And that needs to be foundational in your understanding of your spirituality. That our, our external piety, that the, the worship that we give God, the, the obedience to his commands, the love of our neighbors, all comes because inside we've been changed. And so then that's a reflection of who we are on the inside. 
not an external command to try to just adapt our life to please God and then uh, go on with our life. There's a shift. And if you're were raised or you live believing that it's your external works and piety that are going to get you right with God, your foundation is cracked. And it's a matter of time before a storm takes down your building. Okay, I know today, a little intense. The foundational things are intense. If we don't get them right, the rest of it doesn't matter. But here's the good news. He was really harsh with the Pharisees who thought they had it all together by just doing the things they thought they were supposed to do, keeping themselves separate, keeping themselves, you know, externally cleaned and not on the inside. And he was harsh with them. The, the great news, the grace side of this is, if you recognize these things in your life and you begin to turn, man, his grace overflows. His grace is right there to hug you and welcome you and help you and fill you with his spirit and give you joy and give you peace and move you in a direction that's just incredible. And he'll use your life as a catalyst for other things and, and you'll live a life of fulfillment and purpose and not always looking over your shoulder that I do something wrong before God. Like, life is incredible when you focus on the inside of the cup. And God's power is there and his mercy and his grace to spur you on. And you can live a life of serving him, of following him, of being in relationship with him with no fear. It's an amazing journey. Got to make that shift in understanding the external versus the internal. I'm going to pause and just pray for our... um, our moms this morning, pray for you this morning. I want to pray that God shakes you. If you're relying on the external, if, you're, if you care a lot about your image and what people see and think and perceive of you, that that's a bondage that I, that I'm, I pray would just be broken in your life and that, that as you feel the freedom to work on the things that God is challenging you with on the inside, when you acknowledge those things and turn to him, there's no condemnation. We talked about that last week. Go, re, go re, uh, re-listen to or re-watch the sermon. Once you turn to him, there's, there's grace, there's forgiveness. There's, you can be free to pursue him even while you make mistakes. But I pray that this oppression of caring about what the world thinks about you and the image that you're portraying and somehow thinking that that's what's going to get you right before God, that he would help you. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning. I thank you, Jesus, that you came to set us free. You came to set us free from religion, the ritualistic cleansing and piety that we, we think is what makes you happy or what gets us close to you. And Lord, the constant, I can't imagine bearing the weight of wondering, uh, have I done everything I need to do? Am I, have I crossed all my T's and dotted all my I's? Oh no, I missed one. God's going to be upset with me. And Lord, I thank you that you've released us from that bondage. And that Lord, you've called us to an inner purity of a receiving you into our life. And that you give us the Holy Spirit that helps us 
and changes us from the inside out. And that, Lord, as our inside becomes clean, it affects our outside. And the things that we're actually looking for, a cleanliness, a right standing with you on the outside, is achieved by focusing on the inside. Lord, today we commit to giving over to you those weightier matters that are within us and to focus on those things and call those things out in our life and not be afraid to engage them and allow you to change them. Lord, we want to be a people that reflect you well and not a people who are hypocrites like the Pharisees you challenged during your time. Lord, we're so grateful for the fact that you've brought grace and that you you lavished that on us when we turn to you and that we don't have to be perfect, but, but if we head in the right direction, you're there to walk along with us. And I pray, Lord, that everybody who turns to you and walks in that direction would feel the joy, would feel uh, the, the closeness with you, the, that you're, they're pleasing to you and just the fact that their heart was turned towards you. Lord, we love you. We thank you this morning. Lord, I pray this morning also for our mothers. I pray for those, Lord, who are maybe experiencing a Mother's Day today without their mom and Instead of Mother's Day being a day of happiness and of joy and of honor, Lord, that's, it's of sadness and of loss. I pray, Lord, that you would comfort them in their grief. And that, Lord, you'd remind them of good memories with their mother and, and, uh, and that you would just be there with them. Lord, I pray for the moms who are alive. I, I pray, Lord, that today they would feel uh, honored. I feel that they would be ch- feel cherished. I feel, Lord, that you would speak to them wherever they are, whether they're with their children, absent from their children. Lord, may they, may they be blessed by you today. Lord, in all that we do, we pray, Lord, that your will would prevail in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our nation, in our world. We dedicate our lives to you and to follow you in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Hey, happy Mother's Day. I hope that you take time to honor the women in your life. Uh, But more importantly today, I, I pray that you would seek God with your heart and not just go through a religious exercise. That the peace that you're missing in, uh, in searching God isn't in religion. It's in opening your heart to Him. And when you do that, you'll find Him. We love you. Have a great day. We'll come back to you next week. God bless you.